Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. Today's scripture is one of the most beloved gospel stories for young and old. As you listen, I invite you to pay close attention to the feelings that this parable evokes for you and see if it resonates with your definition of unconditional love. It comes from Luke 10, verses 25 to 37, the parable of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. A nice tale of unconditional love, huh? Perhaps, but let's dig a little deeper to grasp the full import of the story. In the text that was read today, Jesus was challenged on his knowledge of history and tradition. And perhaps he was even challenged hoping he would trip up something that would ultimately lead to his demise. In this parable, a judge asked the question of, who is my neighbor? And while so many have focused on that very important and overwhelming question, I would encourage us to think not about the who, but on the action of what Jesus calls us to do, to love. My question for us today is, what does love look like today in regards to the spiritual, the personal, and the political? 
and also to ask ourselves, what are our expectations of others in this process of understanding and being about love? First, though, let's give some context to the gospel according to Luke. Using style and language and metaphors to welcome and unite Jews and Gentiles into Christianity, Luke offers an orderly account of the birth, the words and deeds, and the death and resurrection of Jesus. The text was believed to have been written post-Rome's conquest of Jerusalem and is a contemporary reflection on the political, religious, and spiritual life of a now Roman-dominated world. Luke is known as the first Christian historian, and his literary style is geared to highlight his theological vision and pastoral agenda for Jesus's ministry, focusing mostly on the actions of Jesus and what this new community was expected to emulate. And biblical writers like Luke, just as Jesus, were storytellers. And when writing about the past, it was never really simply writing about the past. It was about shaping a narrative to speak to the present. It was less of getting to know and get the past right, and more so about who are we now. And thinking about the spiritual side of love, we can find so many examples throughout the entirety of the Bible. In fact, the various authors and contributors to the Bible used repetition as a way to ensure that the readers and hearers knew what was important. With this understanding of the literary device of repetition and its importance, if we were to look at the New Testament, we can see that Jesus spoke of the kingdom of God more than any other subject followed very closely by the dangers of personal wealth and a call of radical generosity with those in need. The kingdom of God that Jesus described in metaphors and stories was the action of a social political movement led by the God of love. And it was meant to restore what Jesus believed to be God's intention for all of humanity since the beginning of creation. And that was to love God and our neighbors alike. Jesus responds to the question by the judge with this. Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus beckons back to the same call found in the Old Testament texts of Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And again, while so many have focused on the who, here we are focusing on the what. What must we do to be made whole, to inherit all of eternal life? And Jesus gave us the answer, it was to love your neighbor Theologian Richard Niebuhr wrote a book on ethics in which he sought to define the highest goal for which one should strive. 
The first thing was that it should be good. A person should seek to do the highest good. And the other was to be right. One should seek to do which is right. But those abstract definitions of what is good or what is right or even what is love remain separated from reality unless we understand how to put that into action in any given situation. And how do we determine what is fitting for any given situation? Do I decide this on my own? Is it a communal decision? Does it depend on my culture and my upbringing? And can it be as simple as do unto others? What are our expectations of others in this process of understanding and being about love from the spiritual examples found throughout the Bible and other religious texts? I believe that when you enter any space, you bring forth with you the past, the hope for the present, and expectations for the future. And for so long, the love your neighbors as yourself motivated me to be a good person. And yet, at a very dark time in my life, when I felt that I was neither good nor loving, I decided to go get a daily reminder of this lesson and this parable in the form of a tattoo. Yeah, I said a tattoo. But I made sure in that tattoo that it conveyed the message of loving your neighbor as God so loves you, not the love of another as you would yourself. I was highly disappointed in my own ability to love myself at that time and well, didn't my neighbor deserve better than the love that I had for myself? Maybe a better question could have been, how did I become who I was? How did I envision who I was becoming? How did I want to evolve in the course of my own life? How do I see myself worthy of that own love, my own love? I'm not quite sure. This is actually a daily struggle in my life. And as I get older, sorry, as I get wiser, I understand that if I want to be all that I can for the world, for the others that are around me, that it has to begin with loving myself, listening to the pain that I feel, listening to the love that I feel, and looking at myself in the mirror every day. I have to realize how my own love can transform me and help me to evolve to be the one that can keep giving back to the world, to a world where there seems to be such constant struggle and perhaps even a disappointment, even with our best attempts to live. I have to be aware of my own limitations, my own blind spots, and I have to be open. I have to be open to new discovery, to learning about the trauma, my own trauma or the trauma I've caused to others on top of trying to move towards the acceptance of other stories, even if that is not something that I am accustomed to, even if it's something that I don't want to hear. My act of love 
comes forth in listening. And all of that can be so overwhelming. Personal transformation can lead to social transformation. And social transformation can only come about through the efforts of people who have been transformed. It's not about good people offering personal services and charity to those in need. It's about a whole transformation of ourselves and the social order that will hopefully eliminate human suffering and pain and need amongst each of us. I truly believe this. And for transparency, this means that I have to learn to even like the parts of myself when I feel angry, mad, frustrated, harmed, tired, and unworthy. WQEB's most popular show was Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Mr. Rogers spent a lifetime teaching children to love themselves. In fact, 143, I love you, was Mr. Rogers' life on and off the show. He taught children about their inherent dignity, to honor their feelings, to explore the imagination, and to know that they are loved just as they are. Mr. Rogers taught us that to be aware of ourselves can lead to the discovery of what makes us feel loved, to loving others in return. During the Nixon administration, Mr. Rogers was called to Congress to hopefully save the NEA, the National Endowment for the Arts. He was put in a pretty difficult position. And instead of reciting something, he had asked for permission to share the words of a song that he uses with the children in each episode. He starts with, what do you do with the mad that you feel? When you feel so mad that you could bite. When the whole world seems oh so wrong and nothing you do seems very right. What do you do? Do you punch a bag? Do you pound some clay or some dough? Do you round up friends for a game of tag or see how fast you go? It's great to be able to stop when you've planned a thing that's wrong and to be able to do something else instead and to think of the song to think that I can stop when I want to, I can stop when I wish, I can stop, stop, stop any time. And oh, what a feeling to feel like this and to know that that feeling is really mine, to know that there's something deep inside that can help us become what we can. What we hear or say becomes a part of who we are. And as a practice, the journey of loving myself, I witness the magic of this transformation for me and those in my life. And sadly, that beautiful message um, of Mr. Rogers, that message of loving oneself just as you are, has been politicized. 
It was towards the end of his life, there were groups out there who criticized him for making everyone feel special. Critiquing the belief that we are all God's children and we all have inherent value. Can you imagine taking the personal and making it political? Again, I ask, what are our expectations of others in this process of understanding and being about love towards ourselves first? What does it mean to take the personal to the political or to make the person political? To think about this political in biblical or religious terms, I think it's important for us to break down what contemporary society has made political about the individual. Ethnicity is biblical. It is about group identity, heritage, language, place, and common group experiences over time. And then there's culture. Culture is a sociological and anthropological term that refers to our beliefs, rituals, arts, and worldview of a particular group of people during a particular place and time. And then there's nationality. Nationality indicates the sovereign nation state where an individual is a legal citizen and is a geopolitical category determined by the legal structure of that particular state. And then there's race. And race is about power. And as a political construct, race was created by humans to determine who can exercise power within a governing structure and to guide decisions regarding how to allocate resources, even how to imprison, enslave, or punish. Lisa Sharon Harper states that the core lie of our Western civilization is that God reserved power for dominion for some, but not all. And since the Enlightenment era, that lie has been racialized. And the founding of this very nation, that racialized domination was made law with one resounding message. God reserved the right of dominion for white people and rich people and no one else. I believe that the developed world must humble itself and turn towards the ones that Jesus would call the least of these. That would have been women, indigenous, black, and brown folks of all ability levels. What kind of new world could we build if all of us on American soil, all of us, replaced race with ethnic language rooted in place, language, and community? Would We would have to remember the history. We would have to study the ways that race has broken our world and then move to build the future that corrects the impacts that we've had. I believe that we need to envision a new way of being together, one that's ultimately rooted in love. 
Fundamentally, this would mean the interrogation of all of our assumptions about how society is, was, and should be. It would mean imagining a world where everyone, especially the least of these, would have enough to thrive, not survive, thrive. I believe the kingdom of God is found in that kind of community. It is found where people are hurting and suffering. It is found where people are engaged in healing and caring and sharing. It is found with people who are working for peace and justice. The kingdom of God is found in the world in the simple everyday acts of kindness, listening, compassion, and even possibly reconciliation. And any community or organization or institution, we don't have to wait for a vision to magically happen. We have to work together to make it a reality. That's what Jesus did. Jesus chose to tackle the long-awaited dream of a just and compassionate society. And by the articulation and action of it, made it a vision that the world would be transformed, starting with the action of love. This parable is not a nice morality tale. It's a story that's meant to challenge us to think long and hard about our social prejudices, our cultural presumptions, and even perhaps our most hidden held beliefs. For the love of oneself and the other is a radical, spiritual, personal, and political act. What are our expectations of others in this process of understanding and being about love for those who develop systems and categories in which to enslave another human? If our narrative of love is different than God's, I think we have to ask ourselves, why is that? And can you see why that might be a problem? Through Jesus, God has continually broken into our world to confront us, to challenge us, to call us, and to change us. We're in that moment today. Jesus had the power and the will to do for others what they needed most, to be set free, to be encompassed by love. So too can we. Maybe even a more limited way we can do the same, always getting better at it as we go along, giving ourselves the space and grace to learn in that process. Because what happened between Jesus and his followers could happen anywhere at any time. Perhaps there's already thousands, if not millions, just like Jesus here. Who can say? What we can say is that we can learn from what Jesus did and have it coincide with what we can see happening in the world around us. And to know that love is the key. Egoism is a challenge, and moments in community together can comprise a solution. We were not meant to do this alone, even though it starts with the I. An act 
of love makes the God of love present amongst each of us. And the conspiracy of God is revealed in action. That activity of transformative change beginning with ourselves and moving outward. And before I end the sermon today, I would like to honor that contemporary person, that Mr. Rogers, who had us thinking about our neighbors and loving our neighbors in different ways. And I would like to take this from his documentary where we're going to take a minute and I'm going to time us right now to think of the neighbor that loved you when you least expected it, or even felt like you deserved it. Are you ready? Who did you think of? Now go share that same power and love with another. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at beatitudeschurch.org backslash online dash giving. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society.